I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As Trevor told you earlier, today is graduation Sunday, and on this day we think of young people, of course, who are dreaming and planning about the future. But that is not a task just for the young. Uh, that's a task for all of us who call Jesus Lord, because each of us should be growing in Christ, becoming more Christ-like. Each of us should say amen to the words you just heard sung by the men, I am determined to live for the King. And that basically is the heart of my message today. By the way, I want to salute the congregation, Mount Horeb, for being so friendly. Uh, I'm reminded of this so often because if I'm out at a store or a restaurant in the Midlands, so often one of you will come up to me and introduce yourself and uh, say, make some kind remark. Just yesterday, I was at Trader Joe's, and I didn't think I would be recognized because I was wearing shorts and a golf shirt and a mask. But uh, one of the gracious ladies of Mount Horeb spotted me and uh, walked up, introduced herself, and uh, said, thank you for being part of the Mount Horeb family. And of course, that made me feel extremely good. And it reminded me that one of the key reasons why we are such a fast-growing church is that we're such a friendly church. The scripture for today comes from 1 John, first letter of John, chapter 3, and I'll read the first three verses. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. One day in an art class, children were working with a substance called plasticine. It's a clay-like substance that can be used over and over because it does not harden. And one little girl had made a form with wings on it. 
And she held it up and said, look at my angel. And the other children were delighted. And then she rolled up the plast plasticine into a ball and held it up and said, now what do you see? And one little boy said, it looks like a ball to me. She said, no, it's a hiding angel. The Bible declares there's a hiding angel or saint inside each one of us yearning to burst forth. That's the message in the first three verses uh, of the letter of 1 John. Written by the disciple John. This letter is a, a loving and a somewhat anxious sermon written by the disciple probably between the years 85 and 90 A.D. Written, we think, in the city of Ephesus. And the letter was sent to some second and third generation Christians who were becoming somewhat less confident, losing some of their enthusiasm. In our text for today, there are two great truths that I want to try to apply to our hearts. The first is this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Listen again to the first verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Now, if you listen to the TV pundits regularly, as I do, you hear them articulate a popular lie. They love to say everybody is a child of God. Everybody is a child of God. The Bible does not agree. Jesus said some people are children of the devil. And I've met a few of them, and I suspect you have too. <laughs> it is true that all people are made in the image of God. There's something of God in every person. And it is God's desire that every person become a child of His. But there's only one way to become a child of God. And that's to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Listen to the way John's gospel puts it. Yet to all who did receive him, Christ, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The great Anglican Archbishop of South Africa, Desmond Tutu, died about a year ago at the age of 90. He was a great storyteller, a great man, a great Christian. He said, my wife once gave me a birthday card, which is the least one can expect from a spouse. It said on the outside, we have a beautiful and unique relationship with each other. And then on the inside of the card, she had written, I am beautiful and you are certainly unique. <laughs> now the truth about us Christians is we are both beautiful and unique, but we deserve none of the credit. Our wonderful status is due to the fact that we have been adopted as children of God. St. Paul defined children of God this way, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Well, how do we become children of God? Ah, it's through adoption. St. Paul wrote this, God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
Let me illustrate with one of my favorite stories. There was a young couple who wanted to have a baby, and years, several years went by, and they were unable to conceive. So they decided to adopt, and they adopted a tiny baby boy. Well, as sometimes happens, soon thereafter, she became pregnant. So within a year, they've got two baby boys. And those two grew up, of course, together, and they went to the first grade together. And on the first day of class, first grade, one of the brothers stood up to introduce himself and his brother, and he said to the class, Johnny and I are brothers. One of us is adopted, but I can't remember which one. <laughs> now, we Christians don't have to wonder which ones of us are adopted. We all are adopted. And so the question I would want to ask today, have you been adopted yet? Are you sure of it? Are you sure of your status as a child of God? If you're not sure, why not confirm it today? It's not difficult. All you have to do is have a little talk with our gracious God and just say to him, I want to become one of your children. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I want the living Christ to rule in my life. That's it. That's all you have to do. And then it's a done deal, you see. Because God has already extended the invitation and he's paid the price. And all we have to do is receive it. And nothing would thrill my heart more today than to know that somebody went home today sure for the first time that he or she is a child of God. That's the first truth I want to declare. Remember who you are. Here's the second truth. Remember what you can become. Listen again to John's words in our text. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him. Is that amazing or what? But I can imagine some of you are thinking, oh, Brother Bill, there's not a much chance I'm going to resemble Christ anytime. I just got too many flaws. I'm too selfish. I'm too short-tempered. I'm too lustful. I'm too resentful. No chance of me resembling Christ anytime soon. But I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just remember, Jesus has a long and proud history of taking ordinary people and even subordinary people and transforming them into extraordinary children of God. For example, he took that intolerant bigot named Saul, transformed him to, into an ambassador, the ambassador for a universal gospel. He took a wishy-washy fisherman named Simon Peter and made him the leader of his infant church. He took that despised tax collector named Matthew and transformed him, him into the author of the first gospel that we have. Jesus did not die on the cross just so that we can be forgiven and go to heaven, though that was the primary reason for the cross. 
But his purpose for us is even greater and more immediate. He wants us to be more like him right now, even before he takes us to heaven. Now, there's a big theological word to describe that process, and it's sanctification. Uh, our founder, John Wesley, our Methodist founder, uh, referred to it as going on to perfection. Uh, Wesley took seriously Jesus' command to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Wesley used to love to remember that when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest and the first commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you hear that, if you react as I do, you say, well, that's almost impossible. I mean, to love God with all my heart and mind and soul and my neighbor as myself? No, that, that's beyond my capability. But Jesus would not have commanded it if it were not possible with God's help. Now, you may be thinking, Brother Bill, I am not a candidate Christian perfection I'm, I'm more like your average Joe or Jane I do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, God has helped me overcome some bad habits he has intervened in powerful ways in my life I'm pretty faithful to attend church and I even open my checkbook to the work of the Lord why can't I just settle down right where I am and be an ordinary Christian the answer is there is an angel or a saint inside of you that the Lord wants to activate. The Lord has bigger plans for you than you dare to dream for yourself. But don't get the idea that he's calling you to a do-it-yourself project. This transformation does not depend on your willpower or your hard work. Only the Holy Spirit can make us resemble Christ. Let me say that again. Only the Holy Spirit can make us resemble Christ. This is the way St. Paul expressed it. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. The finest teacher I ever had the privilege to study under was the great Dr. James S. Stewart of Edinburgh, Scotland. Not only was he an eminent New Testament scholar, but he was one of the most inspired preachers of the 20th century. And it was Dr. Stewart's custom to always uh, invite his students to come to his home for a drop-in so that he could get to know them a little bit better. And so I remember the night when I rang the doorbell at his front door and when he and Mrs. Stewart opened the door and greeted me, I was so surprised at what I saw that I was uh, silent for a few moments. What was I surprised about? Dr. and Mrs. Stewart looked alike. I was amazed. It was maybe not so much the facial features as their mannerisms and their expressions. They looked alike. Well, I pondered on that and asked the Lord uh, to reveal the secret, and I think he did. You see, Dr. and Mrs. Stewart had lived in an intimate, 
relationship with Christ and each other for over 50 years. And over that 50-year period, each of them had begun to resemble Christ. And since they were beginning to resemble Christ, they began to resemble each other. And you know, husbands, wouldn't most of us be improved if we resembled our wives a little bit more? If you agree, say amen. <laughs> My dear wife worships with us online uh, rather than in person because of a health condition. And I could almost hear her saying amen from 35 miles away. <laughs> Remember, if you are in Christ, there's an angel or a saint inside of you trying to burst forth. And as you grow in Christ, that angel or saint will begin to show. We will begin to resemble our Lord and become extraordinary disciples. How can this happen? The work, as I said, the primary, the heavy lifting is done by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible challenges us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in certain ways. It offers us these challenges. The first one, reach for the sky. That means aim high. Our reach should always exceed our grasp. King Solomon said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that great old preacher, Clovis Chapel, used to say that everybody is always living on an incline. An incline. Physically and spiritually. That is, you're never standing still. You're either climbing upward or sliding backward. Never standing still. Sure, as we get older, we're going to decline some physically. But we can make up for that by growing all the more spiritually. Growing Christians must always have lofty goals that they're reaching toward for increased service to Christ. I mean, if we aren't more Christ-like today than we were a year ago, we need a course correction. Here are some examples of some goals that we could establish for ourselves. I want my anger to be better motivated and better controlled. I want my language to be such that the Lord would not be ashamed to hear me. I want my daily Bible reading and prayer to be as necessary for me as food and drink. I want to tear down some barriers between people and groups. I want to build some bridges between people and groups. I want to develop a craving to share the gospel with people who need it. I want the giving of my money to godly causes to be more fun than my spending on myself. So the first challenge for us is aim high. Reach for the sky. Here's the Bible's second challenge to us who would cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Never settle in a halfway house. Never settle in a halfway house. The late Bishop Robert E. Goodrich used to say that the most deadly thing that can happen to any Christian is to become satisfied with what we are, where we are. To just rest on our laurels, to just be satisfied with the status quo. Because at that moment, pride kicks in. 
And soon we are saying, well, I've got my faults, but I'm better than a lot of other folks I know, and I could name them. That was the attitude of a certain Pharisee Jesus talked about. He and a tax collector went to the temple to pray one day, and the poor old tax collector uttered a very simple prayer. Oh, Lord, just be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. But that old Pharisee over on the other side of the temple offered a very different prayer. He basically said, Lord, I sure do thank you that I'm better than most folks, especially that tax collector right over there. I mean, I, I fast twice per week. I give 10% of all my money to the temple. Thank God I am who I am. Jesus said the tax collector went home that day right with God. But the Pharisee did not. Jesus condemned the Pharisee not because he practiced his religion, but because he had a religion he could practice. He had settled into a comfortable status quo. Whenever we stop growing, we start dying. Never settle for a halfway house. And that brings us to the third challenge. If we are to grow more like Christ and assist the Holy Spirit, stay close to your source. Stay close to your source. Somewhere I heard a story about a young man who worked for the Department of Transportation in Pennsylvania, and his job was to run the machine that painted the yellow line down the middle of the highway. And the first day, he managed to paint eight miles. The second day, four miles. Third day, two miles. And then the fourth day, just one mile. His supervisor came to him and said, Hey, man, what's the reason for the lack of productivity on your part? And the young fellow said, Well, I'm painting fewer and fewer miles because I'm getting farther and farther from the paint can. And the, the supervisor said, Hey, man, I thought you knew. Keep the paint can near you. Stay close to your source. Now, there's a lesson there for us Christians. A whole lot of Christians are not growing in Christ because they've distanced from their source. And our power source is the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus promised that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. As I have told you before, the most important spiritual discovery I've made in my life was at age 12 when I discovered who my Savior is. The second most important spiritual discovery came 25 years later. It was not taught by seminary. It was taught by lay people in the church I was serving. They taught me where the power comes from. They led me to Ephesians 5, verse 18, where Paul gave this command, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I have told you before, but it bears repeating, that 50 years ago, I started a practice of a lifetime of every day, including in my prayer, this simple request, Lord, for the next 24 hours, Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that I may accomplish the purpose for which you have for me today. And oh my goodness, as I look back over 50 years, 
how faithful, how gracious the Lord has been to answer. And if my life and ministry have had any impact at all, the credit goes to the Holy Spirit. Our scripture lesson for the morning declares two great truths. Remember who you are as a child of God and remember what you are intended to become. You are to grow more and more like the Lord Jesus until the great day when you meet him face to face and then maybe you'll be surprised when you're actually going to look like him because there's a hidden angel or saint within you that is yearning to burst forth. And in order to assist the Holy Spirit in releasing that saint or angel, set lofty goals, never settle in a halfway house, and stay close to your source. The golfers among us will immediately recognize the name of Scotty Scheffler because just a little over a month ago, he won the Masters Golf Tournament down at Augusta. And yes, I was impressed by his golf game, as everybody else was, but I was even more impressed by what he told the press after he put on that iconic green jacket. This is what Scotty Scheffler said. The reason why I play golf is because I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. The Lord has given me a skill, and I'm trying to use it for his glory. It sounds like to me that the angel or saint within Scottish Scheffler is beginning to show. And so it ought to be for us. There's an old hymn in the Little Brown Cokesbury hymnal that some of us grew up with that is really a prayer. And I'm going to invite us to use it this morning as a unison prayer. Join with me as the words appear on the screen. Let us pray. More like the master I would ever be. More of his meekness, more humility. More zeal to labor, more courage to be true. More consecration for work he bids me do. Take thou my heart, I would be thine alone. Take thou my heart and make it all thine own. Purge me from sin, O Lord, I now implore. Wash me and keep me thine forevermore. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.